Thanks for pressing play. Welcome to Lockhead on Marketing. And on this episode, let's talk about how you become a thought leader. And uh, in particular, how you be a solo thought leader. How to avoid the traps. How to build slowly in public. Why creating frameworks matter. And much more. You see, our guest today, and it's very unusual on this podcast that we have a guest, is Diego Pineda, and he is the author of a great new book called The Solo Thought Leader, From Solopreneur to Go-To Expert in Seven Steps. And um, we thought this would be a very sort of poignant discussion to have now, because, uh, of course, uh, a lot of folks are getting laid off and um, looking for their next opportunity. And being viewed as a thought leader is a powerful thing, whether you're going to go independent or solo, or if you will, YOLO, (laughs) as in you only live once. Becoming known for a niche that you own through leading thoughts is one of the most powerful ways, uh, frankly, to get there, to either have a legendary career as a solo creator or thought leader of some kind, or... If you're going through a career change, if you have been laid off, uh, or maybe you just want to make a change in your career, um, the best way to position yourself as opposed to be positioned is to be uh, out in the world sharing your intellectual capital on what makes you different, why that difference matters, and most importantly, how your ideas can make a difference to others. And that's why uh, Diego's book is so important, and I encourage you to pick up a copy of it. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy all of this conversation in terms of getting to your next step in your career with Diego Pineda. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey ho, let's go. This is Lockheada Marketing, the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary. Hosted by Christopher Lockhead, three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some. Diego, it sure is great to see you. Hey, it's great to see you, Chris. Been listening to you for a while, so seeing you now, it's, uh, it's an honor. <laughs> well, the honor's all mine. And uh, what can I say? I have a I have a face for podcasting, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> the perfect one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we live at this interesting time where, you know, people have called it the great resignation and the great this and the great that and da 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 But if the data is right, it seems like we have more people uh, going solo, going YOLO than at ever uh, any other time in history. Yeah, I actually talked to somebody who who does this for a living, like uh, helping people transition from being in a company to going solo. And he said just even when the pandemic started, it was about 35% of the people that, uh, according to stats, were just leaving their jobs. So he says he thinks it's much larger than that. So there's a lot of people just going out of their their jobs and going solo. So this is is a trend. And... I mean, I think it's going to be growing. And what do you think is driving people to uh, to go solo? Well, not only, you know, I think there's there's a few things. One is uh, people during the pandemic, they just realize 
what what's possible just working from home, being freedom, uh, this freedom they feel like uh, managing their own time and not having to commute or being in an office or, you know, all that BS that has to do with uh, office politics. But then uh, they realize this. So there's this option. So why why go back? And second, I think just the technology, the tools and uh, being able to just reach out people through LinkedIn, through social media and, and getting clients that way is it's, it's possible. So people say it's possible. So why not? I, I can do it. Right. So, uh, and then you get people like on the internet saying, Hey, I reached, uh, in two years of going solo, I went from zero to a million. Of course, those are some exceptional cases, but people think it's possible. So why not me? Why not try it? They just go for it. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, certainly as an individual, and also as a way to build companies, uh, we just recently had uh, Chris Walker and Megan Bowen on the marketing podcast. And um, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see, you know, two younger entrepreneurs, younger, in my opinion, entrepreneurs. And uh, as we talked about, you know, they didn't exist 20 seconds ago. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're ubiquitous. And they have in excess of 100 people, and they are, I think, I'm paraphrasing, but roughly 100, uh, yeah, they have roughly 100 people. They're barely three years old, uh, maybe four years old, three years old, something like that. And what Megan and Chris said is they, for all practical purposes, built the business with uh, LinkedIn and Twitter as the front end and establishing themselves from a thought leadership perspective, actually having leading thoughts, <laughs> which I'm sure we can mm-hmm. get to. Correct. But, you know, they built a pretty big digital consulting marketing agency uh, business out of thin air, uh, using a lot of the techniques, I think, that you talk about. And so whether it's us as an individual or we want to build a business like uh, Chris and Megan, I think people don't realize today that you can build a digital business that's successful relatively quickly online if you know what you're doing right and i love i love what chris and megan have done like those are like one of the the key people if you want to learn from about how to build a business in leadership like they know they know what they're doing and and they just started doing something different and uh you know i've been working in with SaaS companies for the past couple of years and you see that there's a playbook that SaaS companies have. And it's just, you know, we just do SEO, we do advertising, we do outbound sales, we do partnerships. But as a solopreneur, you cannot play by those rules. You you need a lot of money to invest, you know, hire an SEO specialist or an agency or having budget for advertising or a team of SDRs for outbound sales. You cannot do that as, as a solopreneur. And then you have... What they, uh, you have this tools, all the, just the social media and just coming out with uh, leading thoughts, right? And non-obvious content. And that will propel you forward. That will give you visibility. What what I like to say is if you just uh, create content based on a list of keywords, then people are just going to find you because, you know, you're just an option among all the options out there. But if you have disruptive ideas, that's different. It's different if you're found because of your disruptive ideas than if you're just found because of a high search volume keyword. And that's what I think uh, Chris Walker is doing. Yes, very much so. 
Uh, I'm also curious, so maybe we can go here. We live at a very interesting time, Diego, where we are sort of all given these um, uh, sort of social media slash influencer type ideas, right? And we hear all this stupidity about, you know, you need to puke out 5,000 pieces of content a day and you need to be on every platform. And And then, of course, we have the other thing, which we've been railing against for quite some time right now, which is just sort of the the puking of obvious stupidities, you know, in a a recent category of pirates. we, We said, beware the siren call of the obvious stupid. You know, the, it's hump day, you can go for it, <laughs> all that sort of, you know, just absolutely asinine, you know, nothing, nothing good comes without hard work, go for it, <laughs> like, it's just, that shit is everywhere, and people think that's thought leadership. Not at all, and the funny thing is that uh, I read what you guys wrote about, you know, the this uh, obvious content, non-obvious content, and then I was at a, an event uh, last week, and I found a guy who says he's a, he's a business owner, and he says, "Oh, I have marketing figured out. I, I follow Gary B, so I know what to do now." And <laughs> and, and I said, "What do you think?" And I said, "Okay, you want my opinion?" <laughs> so I said, "Well, that's you cannot do what he does, right? You don't have a team of uh, twenty people writing for you, creating content all day. He has a, someone who's following him, you know, with a camera." And whatever he says is posted. So you're you're one, right? You need to be a thought leader. You need to have come up with original ideas, uh, a unique angle, and that's that's what uh, you guys are talking about. That's what I've been pushing for, like telling solopreneurs, just then don't don't be a parrot, you know, just repeating whatever what else is saying. You you need to find a unique angle, and and the best way to do that is. Uh, take something that's a dogma or a best practice in your industry and ask, what if this is wrong? And then you can come up with ideas. Maybe this is wrong. Maybe uh, there's another way. Um, just an example. Um, uh, I just, uh, just this past weekend, I was writing an article on, you know, the, the dogma here in marketing is to be customer centric. Right. And I asked myself, what if that's not always the truth? What if you shouldn't be customer centric? Maybe you should be cost centric, right? Because if you are creating a category where you're doing tall leadership, well, if you're just following what the customer wants, uh, you're giving them the same they already had. But if you have a vision, if you have a new concept of disruptive idea, then you're going to go with it, whether the customers like it or not. And then you just have to evangelize, you just have to educate your audience and educate that new category or that new uh, thought that you have, right? So yeah. it's not always being not customer-centric. There's another other way. So that's what you have to do. You have to question the stuff that's out there. Yes. Think differently. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I was, uh, let's say I was working as an executive somewhere and I, you know, I've been going through all of the things that we've been going through for the last few years. And, and I'm thinking, you know what, I, I do want to go solo. I read this YOLO stuff, stuff, this solo stuff, this solo entrepreneur stuff. And, and I, and I want to do it. What is the advice that you give to folks who are sort of in that early stage of, I, I think I want to go solo. How should I think about it? Yeah, first thing is you have to find your your tribe, 
your niche. You don't go solo just to be, uh, you know, everything for everyone. If you want to go solo, you have to find a tribe and each of followers, right? Uh, you don't have the budget to just do, you know, put an ad on the Super Bowl and reach millions of people. So you have to go narrow and go deep. So first of all, just find your niche and even a sub niche where you can create expertise and be the go-to expert for them and become the, become the obvious expert for that niche. Uh, get to know everything there is about to know about that niche, that industry. And, but don't just stay at the expert level. You have to be an innovator. And the innovator is, okay, you have to come up with a new angle. You have to come up with solutions that haven't been thought about before. And then you have to start just evangelizing and educating people. So the first thing is find your niche, find an angle of what you can teach or give to that niche and just start, you know, promoting it everywhere. I think, I think I like that advice a lot. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense <laughs> to me. And, you know, a lot of people are afraid about some very basic things, you know, in the United States, of course, we have the stupidity around that my healthcare is tied to my job. And so one of the reasons I hear a lot that people don't want to go solo is, you know, what am I going to do about my health care? And if I'm lucky enough that, you know, my spouse has a job with health care, then maybe one of us can afford to go solo. But, you know, so there's all of those things about sort of preparing to go solo. And, um, you know, what are the as I'm sort of thinking through what are the things that are most important as I'm getting ready to go solo, you know, how, making sure you can uh, uh, provide health care is, 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 of course, important. And and then, uh, as George W. famously said, you know, uh, putting food on the family can be hard. And so you also want to make sure that you're heading into sort of your solopreneurship uh, with some kind of a cushion or, or, or as a side hustler. So, so how do I, as I think about all these things, you know, and I, I really want to make the transition. So let's say I got my niche, maybe I've niched down super tight. I was talking to my friend, uh, Iron Mike Stedman the other day, you know, and he's, his super tight niche down is black veteran entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And it's like about as tight a niche as you can get, right? And it's not to say he's not willing to work with veteran entrepreneurs of other backgrounds. Right. And it's not to say that all entrepreneurs who work with him are, vet, are, are, are vets either. But by niching down super hard on black veteran entrepreneurs, to your point, Diego, he's used that niche down. Obviously, he's a veteran himself. He's a, he's a decorated combat vet. Um, and so he has that background that he can leapfrog into this new category. And so if I'm in that situation where I've sort of, I've, I've thought about my niche, I think about what really matters to me in the case of Iron Mike, you know, black veteran entrepreneurs, but I'm also at that place where, you know, I, I need to take care of my healthcare. Uh, the economy is real spooky right now, et cetera, et cetera. How do I make that jump and do it in a way that's sort of responsible? Right. That's a good question. And I think circumstances are different from person to person, right? Uh, it's different if you have a wife and kids than if you're just by yourself and you have more responsibilities or that or you have to take care of your parents. But what I've seen in just talking to many people who have made the jump is that uh, they usually start with uh, a psychic. Like they're, they will be finding and building an audience, building a community uh, while they're working as a psychic. And they can do this for one or two years. 
And then they'll know when they have some recurring income coming, they can make the jump and, and start. Another way is if you are moving into solopreneurship and you're going to do mostly the same thing you're doing already at your job, uh, that's a way that people just say, okay, I already know what to do. I already have clients. So they will take like the clients that they have from their company and they will just go solo and take uh, some of the clients, right? And uh, some of the referrals, the contacts, the network that they have. So if you can leverage your network, that's one way to do it, to start at least with uh, two, three strong clients that will give you uh, some revenue, monthly revenue that will keep you afloat. And then the other way is just do it as a side hustle. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, I think. And there, there, here's the thing for, for, most solopreneurs, entrepreneurs nowadays, and many internet and LinkedIn gurus that talk about solopreneurship, being on a night on a nine to five job is heresy. Oh, you, you never do that. You're you're just uh, selling your soul to the devil and stuff like that. And I, I don't think so. I mean, I was talking to Megan Bone, which you mentioned before, and she said, you know, all the experience I had in my jobs just helped helped me helped me a lot. Uh, another guy I talked to, he said, you know, just working at a good company is like having an MBA, but they, you get paid for it because you, you get all this education on how to do stuff, right? So I think it's uh, don't look at the job as the enemy, but just use it for your future career as a solopreneur. Yes. You know, it's interesting. It's easy to uh, today, especially to sort of poo-poo all that stuff working for somebody and you're not cool if you work for somebody and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, yes, I've been an entrepreneur for over 35 years. And along the way, I worked for a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I started companies that failed and I had to get a job early on, or I started a company that I sold and then all of a sudden you got a boss or so. So to me, it's sort of, you know, there's the purity of entrepreneurship, which of course I do love, but there's the also reality that you can be very entrepreneurial in your work Mm -hmm. and not necessarily ever be a full on entrepreneur. And there's no shame in that either. And to your point, if you work with legendary people, you know, anybody says, oh, well, it's great if you work for somebody who sucks because then you learn what not to do, which you know, there's some some value there, but I'll tell you, um, having worked for some legendary people and with some legendary people, I learned a lot more from the legendary people I worked with than the shitty ones I did. <laughs> exactly, exactly, totally. Yeah, and and you don't want to be in a in a in a place where you hate it every day, right? It's just I'm feeling miserable. So, what are the core skills I need to uh, build as I'm sort of Let's say I'm starting a bit of a side hustle and I'm hoping to build a solopreneurship uh, business over time and, and, and cut the corporate cord, so to speak. Uh, what do you think are the core skills a solopreneur creator needs to build? Well, first of all, you need to have uh, subject matter expertise. So you should know what you're talking about. Uh, don't just go out and pretending that uh, just because you watch two or three videos, you, you know what you're talking about, right? So you really know, need to know your stuff. And be able to show results, maybe not at the beginning, but you have to build social proof and credibility, gather testimonials. And if, if you don't have that, it, it's hard to make it out there. And, and second, you have to be a great communicator, be able to communicate your ideas. So whether it's through writing or through a podcast or through a video, you need to get out there 
And I'm not talking about, you know, building a personal brand. Uh, it's not about building a personal brand, but it's positioning yourself as, as the go-to expert. So if people don't see you, if they don't know your story, it's hard for you to get clients as a solopreneur because uh, you are the brand. So, and that's why I love, uh, the thing I love about thought leadership is that you have to be out there and do the work. And this is what many CEOs fail to understand. And they just want their marketing team to do stuff, right? And sometimes you come from, uh, let's say you come from corporate world and you want to go be on your own, but you're used to that everything's compartmentalized, right? So each department does one thing. And now you have to do everything, right? Now you have to do the accounting. Now you have to do the selling. Now they have to do marketing. Now you have to do operations, everything. And how do you do that if you've never done it, right? So you start by um, doing what you know to do and just sharing your expertise. And all the other things, you know, you can build a team with uh, freelancers, with uh, virtual assistants or distant assistants, what uh, Jamie, Jamie says, right? So there are many tools, but, you know, you just have to realize um, also that I, I'm going to need some support in the future. And I think what most new solopreneurs dread is the solitude of not having anyone to talk to or share with what they're doing or get feedback. So that's why there are so many communities online of solopreneurs where they can support each other and talk to one another. And, and that's how I, I got like even an audience for, for my book, like talking to them and getting to those communities, listening to them. What are they, their, their problems? What are they talking about? And trying to, to solve for that and trying to ask them, okay, what have you done? How did you fix this? How do you solve for this problem? So just finding a community is also very, very important. And the interesting thing is uh, you've done this primarily digitally, have you not? Yes. I mean, you and I met in the digital world. We've never met in person. And I've experienced you through your uh, content. Right. And vice versa, right? Yeah. Everything today is, uh, is digital. I, I, I don't see why not. I mean, and even though uh, we're both... Uh, native analogs we we kind of learn how to swim in the digital waters <laughs> yes and i think um as a side note i i i'm still i'm i will probably always be shocked by the number of native analogs who don't get the massive delta between analogs and digitals and who don't realize what i think what you're what you're talking about which is you can actually build a digital solopreneur, thought leadership, creator-like business on your own. And you can build that business to, you know, a very powerful income for yourself while making a giant difference for others, you know, while you pet your cat in, in uh, sitting here in board shorts and, and flip-flops. And yet there's a lot of people, particularly native analogs, who don't understand that if you sort of hang your shingle out in the digital world and you do it in a very thoughtful, particular way, you can actually achieve a, a lifestyle business that is an extraordinary business that provides you with a tremendous amount of agency. And yet a lot of people are afraid to make that jump. Right. So, I mean, if you want a lifestyle business, that's why you leave your job, right? Because you want a better life. 
Uh, otherwise, just stay, uh, stay up where you are, right? So, and the beautiful thing is that there's so many tools out there, like, uh, you know, you're used to just uh, cold calling, uh, e- uh, call emailing to death, like, you know, companies do, right? Like they hire salespeople to do this, like 120 calls per day. And that's not what you have to do as a solopreneur. In fact, don't do that, right? So there are tools for collecting leads. There are tools for automating your workflow. There are tools for, you know, just uh, eliminating tasks or automating tasks, administrative tasks that will just save you a lot of, a lot of time. And one of the things uh, I tell solopreneurs is that, okay, you're going to build a thought leadership business. So you have to set up the processes and the systems in your business so the business runs by itself as much as possible. Otherwise, you won't have time to think, to write, to communicate, to engage with people. And uh, there's there's one one author I've read recently, uh, Daniel Priestley, and he talks about, you know, he's built multi-million dollar businesses. And he's never, he says he's never been alone. Like he always has. A team, even when he was 22 years old, he hired people to do that. But one of the the roles that he says it's always necessary is the key person of influence or the thought leader, somebody who's going to be the face and who's going to bring credibility and authority to your business. So if you establish a solopreneur business with authority and credibility, you're way ahead from everybody else. Now, the thing that I think gets confused for a lot of people, and this is where all the personal branding bullshit really starts to fuck with people's heads, is customers don't care about you and me. They care about themselves. And the only reason that anybody consumes anything is because they think it'll make a difference to them. And, and there's an interesting arc that happens in this sort of thought leadership world. It's something we've been studying, actually. We're, gonna, we're doing some data science on it as we speak. Mm-hmm. Which is, and here's, here's how the arc goes. In the beginning, the thought leader or person has success because their point of view is radically different in a non-obvious way. And they get that mix of obvious and non-obvious really great, which is they either have an obvious insight with a non-obvious solution or non-obvious insight with an obvious solution. And as a result, that takes off. And then one of the things that we've noticed, Diego, is start look at that. If that's a writer, start look at their book covers. And what you will see, uh, this is what's happening with Ryan Holiday right now. And I like Ryan. He's been on, he's been on Follow Your Different a couple of times. I think he's a great guy. I, I support what he's doing. I got nothing negative to say. I think he's awesome. And if you go to his Twitter page right now, you'll see all of his books are on his banner. And what you'll notice is the size of his name on the cover of the book gets bigger and bigger over time. And the title gets smaller and smaller. And this, I think, is, uh, is a harbinger of somebody who's fucking up, which is they think they're coming for me. It was Sally Fields, I think, who when she won the Oscar, she said, oh, you like me, you like me, really like me, right? No, we like the characters you play in the movies you're in. We actually don't give a shit about you. 
you know, Cole was telling me the other day, Billie Eilish, who of course is one of the biggest music artists in the world right now, selling millions of records and doing all these incredible things. Well, she got a zillion dollar book deal and she wrote a book about like, ta-da, my biography or, you know, whatever the fuck the book was, but it was about her and it flopped. Nobody understands why. Well, what they don't understand is what people love is her music. The only reason they're interested in her is because of her music. But they love her music, not her. It's the music that made her, not the other way around. And I forget who her publisher is, but who, her publisher thinks that she will drive sales. And yet it's a flop. And one of the things in the writing space is just watch the size of the writer's name on the book and you'll tell you'll be able to physically see how the writer goes from being successful because they had leading thoughts that caught fire that were interesting that were provocative that were helpful that made a difference and then all of a sudden they forget it's uh, it's about the thoughts no 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 it's about them and so the size the font of their name on the book cover gets bigger over time and the next step is their picture, their photo is on the cover of the book, right? Yes. It's not just not just the name of it, but and and some of uh, some authors would just run out of uh, original ideas, and they'll their next books are just spinoffs of their previous ideas. And you get the the journal, and you get the the daily uh, ideas, right, of the previous book. So it's it's true, it's true. And I would say though that sometimes. Uh, and I mentioned this at the beginning when we started talking about being customer-centric and cost-centric. Sometimes uh, when you are talking about a big idea, a big thought that you had, uh, sometimes uh, people won't see immediately the benefit from them. They won't see what's in it for them immediately. So you have to tell a story. You have to evangelize in a way that people will go for it even though they don't see the immediate uh, benefit. And that's, that's a challenge. And I, I've experienced that with a, a, with a business we have, which is in a, a, a new category of school, the, the e-school, which it's alternative education. And sometimes, you know, the thing is we have some users, which, which are the kids, but our clients are not the kids, it's their parents. And, we do everything we do, the service we provide is for the kids, but we have to convince the parents that this is good. But they're, they're digital, uh, they're uh, native analog, so they don't understand uh, the new mindset, right? So it's, it's a struggle just to go ahead and evangelize them and educate them about how this is going to benefit their kids, because in their mind, this is just so different. This is so crazy. So, and... In this uh, thought leadership journey, yes, there, there's this challenge as well of trying to tell people, hey, you have to believe this new idea, this radical idea, this disruptive idea. Maybe even you don't understand it yet, but this is how the world is going to be in five, 10 years. Yes. Now, there's, a, there's so much to unpack here. There's a native analog point of view that sort of goes like this. Uh, and here's the pitch. Nobody makes any money writing books, business books, right? So you, you write your business book and um, 
that's your business card. That, that's your marketing for you. That's how you establish credibility, right? Is you write your business book and then you take your product, which you, for all practical purposes, give away or the publisher convinces you that there's no money in it. And the reason for writing your book is to sell speeches and consulting gigs. And this is the model that's been the model for a long time. In other words, I create content, which I make very little, if any, money on. And I give that content away, sometimes to a publisher, sometimes to a blog, sometimes to whatever it is, in the hopes that I will get speaking gigs and consulting gigs. Um, is that the mindset that people come to you with when they sort of begin to hear about you and your work? It's one, it's one of them, right? So obviously it's hard for, if you just start with the idea of, I want to be a New York Times bestseller, I, uh, I want to be famous writing books. Uh, for somebody who's not a professional writer, it's going to be a steep learning curve, right? To get there. So for most of them, yes, writing a book is, uh, the book is going to be like a marketing tool for them, for their business. And what I tell them is, you know, part of, uh, building thought leadership, you know, the book is going to give you credibility. It's going to open doors, of course. But uh, you have a lot of things. You have a, a, a what I call a book ecosystem, right? So you have your book is part of an ecosystem of products. So the book can be the entry point. But the book is so important because if you want to be a thought leader, you need a framework. And the the book it's the the way that you tell people this is my framework. My framework works, and this is how it's going to help you. So if you don't have a framework, you cannot be a thought leader. And the first thing to do is to write a book where you explain and describe your framework in detail. And from that, you can create courses, you can create coaching, one-on-one events. And this is, this is what I call the, the book ecosystem. You can create all sorts of products. But the book is going to be the backbone because that's where you're a framework lives and that's how people can uh, relate to your ideas and can't and then they can start amplifying them so it's not just a business card it's <laughs> a business card is is something you hand out and hoping people will call you but a book is not just something that people will call you about it's something that will actually change their way of thinking and yes. change paradigms Yes. Now you said something in there, Diego, that is so powerful. Uh, can you say what you said about frameworks again? Yeah, you cannot be a thought leader if you don't have a framework. Okay, stop right and there. The frame. Yeah. Why? Why is that true? Well, because if you don't have a framework, you will just start saying random stuff, writing about random things that occurred to you in the shower this morning while you were driving. And they're not going to be related to anything. And they're not going to be helpful to anyone. And it's just going to be obvious content. Yes. I think for you to create non-obvious content, you need a framework, a foundation to, okay, these are my, the basics. This is where my thoughts are coming from. And this is, this is my main uh, idea. And then from that, once you have a framework, I mean, creating content, it's easy. Yes. It's very easy. But it's interesting how... Um... Some thought leaders become successful because of a framework that they introduce. 
and then they abandon it and they think it's all about them. Right. Right. And so if you take Seth Godin as a great example, his first breakout book was called Permission Marketing. And that's a framework. That's a new insight that in the future, you shouldn't interrupt somebody with your marketing. You should provide an opportunity for them to raise their hand and say, I want to consume your content. Therefore, you have my permission to market to me, as opposed to what happens in the most uh, cases where somebody interrupts you with marketing. Well, that idea was a great idea, was a massively powerful idea. Mm -hmm. And he wrote an incredible book about it. And then to the best of my knowledge, he, for the most part, has not gone back to that idea. And there's been no big framework that he has used since then. Purple Cow's an interesting idea. Do stuff that stands out. Okay, great. That book's been written a billion times. But isn't it interesting that he has not continued to introduce new frameworks, or we call them new lenses or new paradigms or new approaches. Now he's just a guru giving big ideas. And so my point is, isn't it interesting how more often than not, the framework is what makes the creator. And yet over time, they don't introduce more new frameworks and or they don't take the framework that made them successful and evolve it or develop it or co-create it with others. And so why is it that so many thought leaders go from doing exactly what you just say to being confused and then you go to their homepage and it's a giant photograph of themselves? Well, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, the, what the publishers will do and what they want you to do and, and the marketing teams around, uh, you know, the personal branding and all that stuff. Uh, I guess people just get sucked into the, the status quo and, and what's been working for everybody. And I was, I was listening to, to a podcast yesterday and they were saying, you know, you believe, your beliefs are based on what the people around you believe. That's, that's how you create your beliefs. It's what people around you believe, right? And there was a moment when you created a framework and people started following you, right? But then you became famous, you became a thought leader, and everybody has these ideas. And, and now you're in this group and for some reason you start adopting what everybody's thinking and you're already get, you're already there, right? So you're already famous. You already got the attention, have the the audience, and maybe there's no need to just uh, rock the boat and 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 create any new framework. But just you know, see what's selling, see what people like, right? And and I think you guys in, in nail it with the the then obvious content and non obvious content, right? So if you want likes, if you want to stay on top, just create that content that people will like and people will say, oh yeah, I love it. But just being able to say, uh, just gonna disrupt and rock the boat, it's just putting your uh, your celebrity status at risk, I think. Yeah, it, I mean, I guess it depends what you're, you're motivated by. If today everybody gets very confused between sort of the uh, vanity metrics of the hustle porn world and, and making a contribution. And they conflate those things very much. But, you know, here's the, let's just speak the quiet part out loud. All that sort of uh, thought leader shit, right? Uh, all of the 
Uh, it's going to be hard, but it'll be worth it. It's going to be my time. You know, all that sort of stupidity. Anybody that posts a meme with a quote with a photo of themselves, right? It, that. The quiet part is almost anybody with an IQ larger than their shoe size knows that's fucking garbage, including the idiot posting it. And yet an entire generation has been duped that if you post stupid memes with inspirational quotes that like somehow you're doing something of value. And so how do we fucking teach the world, Diego, that in order to be successful, in order to build a reputation, in order to do something that makes a difference, it requires making a contribution as opposed to making yourself look like a buffoon on social media. Well, you know, the, the dopamine rush that people get out of likes and nice comments it's it's powerful it's like cocaine right so it's like how do we get how do we get people rehabilitated from this addiction to vanity metrics right um i think there needs to be like from the beginning a mindset shift and i think uh i read from you guys in the category pirates newsletter like you have to make a decision what do you want do you want to make a difference or you just want to be, you know, famous and liked. And, and that's the thing. And you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with either of them. It's, it's your choice. If you feel fine and with the likes on the, on the views and the comments, go for it. You know, it's, it's your life. It's what you, you want to do with, with your time and your knowledge. And just trying to make people see the, the the options i think you know just keep evangelizing when when i publish and with my book the feedback i get is hey it makes a lot of sense that i have to do things differently it makes a lot of sense that i don't have to just be better than the competition but be unique so it's going to resonate with people not with everybody like uh, i publish one of the the chapters of the book on medium and the title of the chapter is content marketing is dying long live thought leadership and i get people really angry when i said that and th the comments are just hilarious because you got this totally wrong you don't know what you're talking about uh seo is the best thing ever and you know people have their ideas and they will go on and live with them and practice them no matter what you tell them but other people will just say yeah it makes sense so i don't know it's if it's a matter of convincing people but just telling people what you think and some people will say that makes sense i will i will follow this so here's a headset shift that i know has made a difference for, for me and i'm curious to bounce it off of you if you have a content marketing lens right? How do I put out content that drives my business, right? I want content that does my marketing so, so that I get more business, right? And if you do that, then you behave in a particular way. Well, well here's the thing. Everybody knows the difference between um, somebody doing content marketing versus contribution marketing. You can just tell, right? You know, it's building to a stupid thing called buy my whatever, Right? And it's fine to do marketing around buy my whatever, 
but don't drape it in contribution. And so here's my point. The shift in headset from I'm a, I create marketing content to I'm an educator. I'm a teacher. And I'm going to create content with the goal of teaching something that makes a difference to others. And some people are going to get it. Some people aren't. And some people are going to pay attention. And some people aren't. And, and But I, there's, a, there's a specific contribution that I want to make. And I'm going to go make that contribution. And yes, we all want to increase the scale of our footprint and all that. You know, it's a natural human thing, both from a make a difference perspective and from a make a money perspective. But my point is, people who are grounded in making a difference are much less likely to be confused. And so as I'm moving forward as a thought leader, how do I stay focused on my true north as opposed to get sucked into some of the stupidities? Oh, man, that's a, that's a great question because you see many people just uh, falling into, into that motion of, of, well, I've been liked. I love being liked. I love all the attention I'm getting. I, I don't want to do something different, right? So it's part of... It's part of, uh, you know, staying true to your beliefs. So I think one of the things is that and when things get tough and people are not responding to your message or to your angle, it's like you ask yourself, why am I doing this? Do I really believe? I mean, it's okay if you change your mind. I, I, I don't care if you change your mind and you think this is, this is crap. I don't want to keep doing this. It's okay. But if you really believe on the message you're conveying, if you really believe in the thoughts that are going to bring change, are going to make an impact that are legendary, then you just have to remind yourself, I have to keep at it. Because it's, and that's, go back to the co- the concept of being cost-centric, not just customer-centric. Because if it's customer-centric, then the customer gets tired of it, I'm just going to change, right? I'm going to do whatever they want. But if I am, the, I'm cost-centric, I know I have a vision and I know I believe in this, and this the message on this thought leadership I have, then I'm just gonna keep at it. And that's why I, I insist on the framework because if you don't have that framework written down, if you don't have uh, everything established there and you know what it looks like, even in a visual form, then it's hard to, to commit to it. But you go back and say, okay, I know this works. I mean, you, you may review it and you may say, maybe things have changed in the market and I have to, to tweak a little bit, but I still believe what I believe. Yes. Now, earlier uh, you talked about, Diego, um, this idea of a content ecosystem. And uh, we think about it in a very similar way. And we think about a flywheel and, and so forth and so on. Um, but it goes against... Uh, building an ecosystem goes against sort of the let's write a book and then get analog consulting and speaking gigs. Building an ecosystem, at least, well, let, let me ask you this. What does building an ecosystem mean to you? Okay, so building an ecosystem has several steps, right? So uh, the first step is you you want to, of course, in a business, you want to get leads, right? So I think the book is, the book's function is part of that uh, lead generation that people will know about you. But then once you get into the door, you have more offers for them, right? So you may have, okay, we can go in depth. Like a book is not enough for, for me to guide you through my framework. So you may have a, an on-demand product, digital product, where people can go deeper into one of 
the topics, let's say one chapter of the book. And then you have a consulting gig, yeah, where you can go on to, to one company and teach their employees or their workforce, you know, how to implement that framework in their organization. And then you can just scale it from that. You can have a big conference, right? So it's it's a matter of how how much people are willing to go and learn from you, right? So I've had people read my book and then they make an appointment with me. They they set up on a calendar and say, I read your book. Can you help me become a thought And then, okay, let's make a custom plan and work on that. Which is ultimately what you want. The interesting thing, however, is um, we find it fascinating that you would create digital content, a book, to sell analog services. And so the aha that we've sort of seen is that there is, is, there's a hierarchy at play here, which is you can make money selling your content. So you write a book, you can sell that book. And contrary to popular belief, you can actually make money selling that book. Yes. And let me ask you this question while we're there. You self-publish, yes? Yes. And so why did you do that as opposed to go to a publisher when clearly you could have gone to a publisher? Many reasons. One, uh, I don't want to lose control of my book. I don't want to wait 18 to 36 months for my book to be published. Um, I don't want to beg the gatekeepers to let my ideas go out into the world. And I don't want to just relinquish the profits of the book, right? Getting 15% while I get can get 70% if I self-publish. So there are many, many, many reasons. But part of being a thought leader is, you know, you have to create your community. And in the end, whether you publish yourself or you publish with a big publisher or a small publisher, you have to do all the marketing anyway. The support is non-existent. Unless you're a celebrity, they're going to give you some budget for the first month. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, look, I know big celebrities who've gotten very big book deals. Um, they don't get much support either. <laughs> And, uh, you know, my first book was published by a major publisher. They gave us a very real advance. And it is a shocking thing when you get signed and you think, you know, like, like the Beatles, you got discovered when in point of fact, fucking nothing happened. You gave up 90% of your business to somebody for some badge of honor. And then you got to go do all the work and they make all the money. It's like the dumbest idea ever, but we do it because, you know, we were published by blah, blah, blah. Like it's some big cocktail party thing that you can tell people. And so point A is you can actually make money selling a book. Oh yeah. Point B is, and I think you were just on this rather than just become a thought leader, sell a book to sell analog services, have a hierarchy. You could create products. So books, a product to your point, newsletters, a product to your point, uh, courses are a product to your point. Uh, communities are a product to your point. Um, more training. You know, my, my partner, Nicholas Cole, uh, has this amazing business with his other partner, Dickie Bush, called Ship 30 for 30. I think you know about it. You know, they have this cohort-based training that is such a powerful idea today that is often a precursor to a community. Um, and, then, and then people have these things called masterminds. And people, you know, a mastermind is an expensive version of a community. And so you build all of these products that are digital in nature that require either zero or very little time from you 
so that you can have a flywheel of content that A, is scaling. You know, you wake up one day and you go, holy fuck, we're downloaded in 190 countries. How the fuck did that happen, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. And those digital products escalate in value, escalate in price, and they become a flywheel that spins that uh, makes a difference globally at scale that you could never make as a consultant or as a speaker. And of course they throw off cash. And so my point is this, uh, we believe that thought leaders, the degree to which they're doing analog stuff, i.e. consulting and speaking is only so that that's a lab that allows them to create more digital products in their flywheel because ultimately from a pure business model perspective as a solopreneur, the problem you're going to create if all you do is sell your time is of course, guess who needs to be there if you're selling your time. But if you build a flywheel of digital products, um, you can be with your friends in Maui and the flywheels throwing off cash and making a difference while you're at the beach. And so I'm curious how you advise people to think of their uh, ecosystem flywheel uh, business model, Diego. Yeah, so think about it as uh, you, you talk about being scalable, right? So let's let's have a uh, let's put an example that everybody knows about, right? So years ago, Steve Jobs decided to create iTunes, and he gave that away for free, and people could download their music and all that, and then comes the, the 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 iPod and people want the iPod because they want to put all the music there so he has a free product the iTunes and then uh, low entry low cost the iPod and then people who even Windows users could get the iPod and then easily by some will jump and say okay I like Mac I like Apple so let's uh, buy a, a MacBook right so it starts from the free to the low cost to the higher cost, right? And sometimes the mistake people make is, okay, I'm gonna go from my book to an expensive consulting gig, the analog thing. And interestingly, I saw this in a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Steve Kotler, and he wrote a book called The Art of Impossible. Yeah, yeah, I've, I, I, he was on Follow Your Different after that book came out. I think he's a fucking genius. And his book, um, The yeah. Rise of Superman, unbelievable, yeah. brilliant guy. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, go ahead. <laughs> I, I loved his book. I love the art of impossible, like how to get in a state of flow. But if you if you go to the back of the book, after he finishes the book, he's offering you to get into this cohort thing, and it's forty five hundred dollars. But that's a big jump from somebody to buy a thirty five dollar book to forty five hundred dollars. There's nothing in between. What I would say for you as a solopreneur. As a business person, make it easier for people to jump from product to product, right? To go step by step, right? So I think that you can have a free thing, but the book, the book is going to be 20 bucks, 25 bucks. That's easy. That's an impulse buy. But then have people go step by step in, in through that ecosystem and until, you know, the really, the really hardcore fans will pay $15,000. And, you know, you see people like, uh, uh, Peter Demandis, who has a lot of books, best-selling books, um, but you you go and look at what his training is sell for is uh, fifteen, twenty thousand, thirty-five thousand per person for membership. 
into his uh, his um, mastermind. And that's a, a, a very good way to make a living. So have a stair step up. Yes. Exactly. The other mistake I see people making all the time, every once in a while they do it when they come on uh, my pod, one of my podcasts. I ask them not to. So in general, they don't. But um, I'm sure you've heard this where the, the guest comes on, they've written their book. And every time the host asks them a question, they say, well, uh, Jimmy, I'm glad you asked that because in my book, um, how to make a lot of money, impress everybody and uh, go to heaven, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and in my book, and then they named the book, well, when I was writing how to impress everybody and go to heaven, da, da, da. and, and it's interesting. What a lot of people don't understand is the no sell sell. The more you do that, the more people don't want to buy from you. And the more radically, you, you know, we call it radical generosity, you know, we give away a sh- like uh, everything pretty much. Mm-hmm. And what we charge for the stuff we don't give away for is, is mouse nuts, right? So we either give it away, give it away or charge very little for it. And anyway, uh, I was juxtaposing this uh, of late. Uh, I'm sure you've heard Ray Dalio has been out doing a big tour for his latest book and stuff. And he's got a lot of very uh, fascinating things to say. And I was listening to him on a podcast and he did this 40 minute or so uh, YouTube video that is sort of like a presentation video of all the content in this book. And I, on the podcast, he says, well, we did a lot of research for the book and this and that and the other. He says, but you know, if you want to read my book, that's great. But it, it really, all you read it, all you really need to do is listen to my free YouTube video. Like he doesn't give a shit. Now he's a billionaire. He's not probably care. He doesn't care that much, you know, but billionaire or not, and whether you like him or not, it's hard to argue that Ray isn't trying to make a contribution. It's hard to argue that Ray didn't do the research and didn't do the writing and didn't do the thinking that he did because he wanted to make a difference. Because if Ray just wanted to make more money, the last thing you'd do is write a fucking stupid book. If you're Ray Dalio, the thing that you do is do what you do, which is invest like a goddamn genius, like about the badass that he is. And so I guess my point in that is, um, is overselling versus doing the no sell sell. Like I, I, this is a mistake I see a lot, particularly by newer thought leaders. Yeah. I think if, if you establish yourself as a thought leader, uh, it's because you want to make a difference. You want to make an impact and that goes with giving stuff away for free. And I think you should give your best content away for free. It's not just, you know, I hate it when, when, when in a podcast you hear someone saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I have the answer to that question in my book, so you have to buy it to, to find out. What? Seriously? Uh, if you're giving away, people will, will, will buy. And I don't care if they don't buy anyway, you know, because in the long run, even if you have a, a book ecosystem or not, uh, people are going to come to you eventually when they actually need it. So I think you were, you're building trust. And what I think Ray Dalio is doing, it's, it's his building trust and he is building an audience and a community of followers. So I think part of um, uh, David Mirman Scott, which is a guy I, I follow, uh, he talks about a concept called phenocracy. And it's the art of converting customers into raving fans. And I think the only way to do that is to give everything you have everywhere. 
and not just expect people to to buy. And if you're just in sell, sell, sell mode, people can see through that. People have this, uh, you know, uh, BS thermostat where, where, where they know what you're doing and what you're trying to do. So yeah, give, give away your stuff for, for free and eventually all that trust and all that authority you're building is gonna pay off. Yes, it's interesting that you mentioned Merriman Scott. So one of the other things that he's done, and I don't know him at all. Uh, I respect him from afar. I don't know his work all that well, but you know, I generally, I, it seems like he does good work and I know he's, he's well-respected and I appreciate anybody doing anything smart in marketing or business for that matter. The interesting thing is notice what you did when you first started to introduce him in this conversation. You said he wrote a book called Fanocracy. And it's about how to build your business around raving fans or something to that effect. Yes. Yeah. So why did you say those words about Merriman Scott as opposed to some other words? Because that's, that's part of uh, the, the, the point I wanted to make, right? So he has the authority for some reason because he actually coined the term. Yes. And he, he came up with this uh, original thought, I would say. Nobody talked about phonocracy before him. Yes. Now, a lot of people have talked about raving fans for a long time. Ken Blanchard yeah. wrote a book about it. He's the biggest selling nonfiction author, uh, I believe, on Amazon. If he's not the number one, he's certainly right up there. The interesting thing about what Merriman Scott did with phonocracy was he took an obvious idea, build some fans to build your business, but like legendary solo thought leaders, he didn't just retread an idea that's been done a billion times. He framed it, named it, and therefore claimed it. And so he's not the 437th guy to write a book about how to create fans to build your business. He's the uh, godfather of fanocracy. And that's a right. distinction. That's an aha that most solo thought leaders don't get. And so help me understand how you think about introducing new languaging as a thought leader. So when you create your framework, you have to give it a name, a very cool name. And you call that framework with this new term that you come up with using languaging. And that's going to make the difference. And even so that's, that's the solo thought leadership framework I came up with. So it's something that's unique. I hadn't seen that before. And then I can just use the, that languaging to refer. And even a chapter of the book, each step in the framework has that languaging, like the solo part. So people will know, okay, this is part of the, the framework. This is what we're talking about. And once you name it, you claim it, it's yours. And the, the beautiful thing is when people start talking about it uh, and using it in everyday language or when, when they're writing about it. So it's, uh, it's amazing when you, you can see those words or those terms you came up with and people start uh, using them in their everyday conversations. Well, and the cool thing about what you're doing, of course, and I know many of your readers and people who work with you understand it, is you can't be successful doing what you do unless you practice what you teach because you're literally doing that. Exactly. So the thing that you're doing to be successful 
is the exact thing that you're teaching people. And I'll take it even a step further, Diego. Uh, just like Merriman Scott, there's a million books around how to create fans that drive your business. Right now, there are a bazillion books and courses, and I don't know what's on how to be a creator and how to be a blogger and how to be an influencer and how to be a hustle porn star. And there are agencies that you can go to that will turn you into a hustle porn star and give you all that stupidity and all that stuff. Interestingly enough, you didn't write another one of billions, how to be a creator, how to be a writer, how to be a hustle porn star, how to be an influencer. You said how to be a solo thought leader. So you shifted the emphasis away from where the world is, which is all around these influencer-like sort of ideas, to a completely different place. And so how frontal lobe was that decision for you? So when I started posting about thought leadership, uh, at the beginning, I thought uh, maybe this is going to resonate with C executives, business, business leaders. And then... I looked at who was uh, engaging with my posts on LinkedIn, and I realized the coaches, consultants, entrepreneurs. I say, "Huh, interesting." So this is resonated with an audience I didn't think about when I started on this path. So I shifted, and I went after them. And I said, "Okay, if I'm a solopreneur, what's what's important to me? What do they want?" And I started talking to them, and then. Uh, the audience grew and engagement grew. And that's how I find my, I, I, no, I didn't find my niche. My niche found me in that sense, because I just started, you know, going out there with my ideas. And that's how I think part of building thought leadership is you just put your ideas out there and you see if it, if it responds. Like somebody asked me uh, the other day, how do you write a book? How do you decide on an idea to write a book? And I say, I don't start by writing a book. I start by writing social posts blog posts, articles, and I see what sticks. And then I follow it from there and I expand those thoughts and I end up writing a book. <laughs> I love that. It's like, hey, if you can't write a legendary tweet, um, maybe you can't write a book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the interesting thing is, though, um, the old school mindset, and I think this is you know, even for, uh, I know a very young uh, solopreneur who's doing an insanely great job and she's wicked smart and I'm so stoked she's in my life. And yet even her, who, she's a native digital, she sort of got sucked into some of this old school native analog thinking and didn't realize that you could do just what you said, which is essentially, to me, it's, you see if this resonates with you, Diego there was this aha that sort of showed up in entrepreneurship over the last decade or so called quote unquote, build in public. The idea that being in stealth was stupid, just share with people, share your journey. But if you do that and you show them how you're building your product and you're sharing your ideas with them, you'll have this sort of quote unquote collaboration with your quote unquote community as you quote unquote, build in public. And there are some powerful ideas there because to your point, as you're writing, you're figuring out what's landing and for whom it's landing. And all of a sudden, you started with an idea, yes, or set of ideas that would be unique things you wanted to write about and contribute, correct? Yeah. You put those out in the world. The world responded, some positively, some negatively, some in between. You listened to those responses and you kept iterating and innovating and kept listening, right? Exactly. 
And then what happened? When did it snap together in your head? So, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a work in progress. Even after I published the book, uh, I still have responses that you think, okay, this person misunderstood what I was trying to say. Why? Why is he saying, oh, you're wrong because of this, but you know, you didn't mean to say that. So it has to do with my explanation. So something that I say is you have to test out your framework and tell it to people. And the thing is you have the curse of knowledge and things that are obvious to you, you think is, they're obvious to everybody else. So you have to explain your framework uh, to your grandma and then see if your grandma or, or, or a 12 year old can understand it. And you get feedback. What are the questions that they're asking? Right. And when I started doing that and I started iterating and fixing everything, I said, I'm just going to put this into a book format. And yeah, to your point, I, I started building in public and I, I saw my best uh, conversations on LinkedIn. I said, okay, this is good. And even some of the comments I got from people made it to the book, to the manuscript from people. Because one, I remember one, one time uh, I did a, a LinkedIn poll. I said, what do you think about self-promotion? And I got some interesting responses on that. And, and, and that actually made it into the book, right? Because people had good ideas about self-promotion. I said, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's a good one. So uh, it's like building a puzzle, right? And if you build your framework with a community, it's going to be even better. And because people feel like they've participated, I have people say, hey, I loved how uh, the, see the process when you came up with the idea and you started talking about your 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 ideas of solo thought leadership on LinkedIn. And now that you published the book, I bought the book and I love it. Right. But I was so excited to be part of the process of the journey yes. because I saw everything. Yes. Right. And that's, and that's also part of your marketing. When you build in public, you're doing marketing for your book way before the book is published. Yes. And so when, when it's released, people are ready to buy it because it's not the first time they hear about it. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. And I think this is a, a big thing that a lot of people today don't understand. You know, my partner Cole says, just, just publish, you know, their, their writing program ship 30 for 30 that you got to, you you got to publish, AKA ship something every day for 30 days. Right. Mm -hmm. And when we started category pirates, category pirates, wasn't a newsletter. It was a book. The three of us came together to write a book. And to your point uh, with your book, we were like, well, I don't want to wait a year for this to come out. I, I want this fucking out now. I don't even want to wait till we're done writing it. And so, so we took a book project and turned it inside out and turned it into a newsletter. And then to your point, you learn as you write and you test and you play and, and you get feedback and contribution from your super consumers. And that modifies things over time. And, and they literally watch you build in public. And then what, what was a collection of newsletters in our case becomes a book. And to your point, People who already subscribe, who've already read all of it, go buy the book. Yeah. It's crazy. And then they buy the audiobook as well. Right. This is something Eddie Yoon taught me, which is if you're a super consumer of Pink Floyd, you don't have one copy of Dark Side of the Moon. You have 15 copies of it. 
You bought it digitally. You bought the record. You bought the collector's item. You bought the live. You bought the bootleg. You bought you blah, 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 right? Yeah. And this is, I think, is something that uh, people don't understand, which is if people are really into your work because they're, you're making a difference, you're, you're in a category that matters to them, um, they want to consume lots of it, not a little of it. Yeah. And and it's amazing when, when you get uh, DMs and... People are saying, hey, I've read your book two times already, and now I'm listening to it in a slow-mo because I want to digest the concepts, right? And you think, okay, that's this is cool. You know, people are, are liking it, but it's because you listened to them in the first place. Yes, yes. And you didn't wait till it was perfect, right? You, you allowed yourself to, in, in your case, build in public on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, something that uh, old-school authors missed but uh we have uh, the opportunity with with social media to do it and it's amazing it's interesting because you know and i have so many authors on the podcast and stuff and a lot of them are still in the old model which is you don't tell anybody very much you wait till it comes out you do this big ta-da lightning strike which of course can make a lot of sense uh you do a bunch of contributed articles in a bunch of stupid tier three uh, business pubs that nobody reads anymore, like Stink Magazine and Fast Company and all that garbage. And, and, and then you go on this big thing, as opposed to uh, build in public over time. And then when you when you do your ta-da, people are waiting for that ta-da. And it, it's built in. The other thing, of course, it's interesting, this is a side note, as a digital creator, you can afford to be radically generous in a way that you can't when you're in the analog world. So when um, Category Design Toolkit came out, we offered it to anybody who wanted it for free as a PDF before it was live on Amazon. Just give us your email address and we'll give you it free. Not the chapter, not the intro, the whole thing. And it's hard to tell because Amazon doesn't give you good data, but best we can tell approximately half the people who got it for free probably paid for it after the fact or gifted it to somebody or something. And so, you know, that's the other thing about being a digital creator is you can decide how you want to do business. A major publisher would never have let us do that, but we thought it was an important thing to do. A, we thought it was a great marketing idea, but more importantly, you know what? It feels insanely great to give your shit away for free. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, there's there's many ways to do it. And the freemium model has been around for a few years now and people love it. What I did for, for my book uh, is that I, I re- every interview I did for the book with experts, I, I recorded them. But for everybody who bought the book on lunch day, I would say, just send me the receipt and I'll give you access to all the, the recordings of, for, of the interviews I did for the book. And people love that. Right. So it's just being, I don't know if a publisher would allow you to do that, but being a solo creator allows you to do, be creative and, and do those sort of things. Yes. Now, is there anything else you want to touch on, um, Diego, before we wrap on how to be a legendary solo thought leader? Yeah. I mean, uh, I like to say, don't just be better than the competition, be the only one. Yes. And that has to be your, your mindset. I, I have to be unique and uh, there's no competition when, when you think like that. Yes. Uh, you have an abundance mindset and you just focus on, on doing your best every day and there's enough for everybody. So 
Yes. Just follow the path and be the only one. You know, the interesting thing on that mindset. Um, so it's now been uh, six years since I entered this world of creator, writer, solo thought leadership, although I have partners, but however you want to think of it, small, small band <laughs> thought leadership. Um, <laughs> and what I noticed, particularly in the beginning, it's true now, but I, I needed it a lot more in the beginning is how much other people in the writer, podcaster, creator world were willing to uh, extend a hand. Right. I was really surprised in the beginning that how many people did not have a competition mindset. And now, you know, with podcasting, I think it's my job to showcase some of the most breakthrough leaders of our time and to promote their work. I get massive joy. I, you know, look, do I love it when people buy our shit? Sure. But you know what? I get, I, I get massive joy, Diego, when I see you being successful, when the next generation is creating legendary shit and it's taking off. And, you know, I, I'm always, uh, anyway, long story longer. It's amazing in this world that people are still like that. Um, and I'm curious, you know, it's been six years since I started and I need less of a hand up than I did then because I was at the bottom of the barrel then. But I'm curious, you know, how, how much sort of um, hand up are you are you getting from other uh, other creators? It's unbelievable how the solopreneur community and creators community are are just so willing to help, right? So I get people like I'll promote your book. I'll, I'll give you interviews. I'll introduce you. Like I would interview someone for, for the book. And I would say, uh, do you know somebody else who I should talk to? And they would give me like four or five names of people I should talk to. Right. And, and resources and stuff. So I see this uh, collaboration just, and it's part of what, you know, you learn on LinkedIn. And that's one of the things I think you see on LinkedIn that you don't see maybe on Facebook or, or other, uh, social media platforms that uh, there's a lot of collaboration still and people want to see other people succeed. So I've experienced that firsthand. Yeah. And I, I, you know, one of the big pieces of advice I always give people is, is, is look for those folks. They're, they are out there. Um, the flip side is the assholes are out there too. And I don't know if you're like this, I'm a bad person. So I, I have my list. You know, I know the people who treated me like shit when I was a nobody. You know, it's an interesting thing because I, you know, I, I left a world where I was a somebody and then I entered a world where I was literally a nobody. And it's weird to be, you know, of a certain age and achieve a certain level of whatever and then to like start completely over. And so there were some, let's just say, big name folks in the entrepreneur marketing creator world who... uh treated me unkindly to put it mildly in the beginning. And, um, you know what I love? I love it when their PR firms reach out and they try to get on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, generally say it politely, but, uh, every time it happens, I think, yeah, go fuck yourself. You pompous piece of shit. You weren't willing to, uh, throw a rope down to me when I needed you. And now you want to get on my fucking podcast. Fuck you. <laughs> But but uh, I'm not a good person. <laughs> yeah, life goes around and different twists, interesting twists. So yeah, it's uh, I love it that that happened. <laughs> Me too. Any other closing uh, thoughts, Diego? Oh yeah, no, just uh, you know, um, leave a legacy and be legendary. Uh, <laughs> I call myself now. Uh, thanks to you guys, uh, 
full leadership marketing pirate. Yeah. That's uh that's my motto these days. So go for it, be a pirate, change things, broke things, <laughs> break things. Well, Pirate on Diego, thank you for your legendary work. Thanks for this time together. Thanks for including me in your book. I deeply appreciate it. And uh, I, I think you're doing important stuff. So um, keep going. Thank you. Thanks. Well, there he is, my buddy, Diego Pineda. His new book is out. It's called The Solo Thought Leader, From Solopreneur to Go-To Expert in Seven Days. Do yourself a favor and pick up a couple of hundred copies for you and your friends. <laughs> All right. We would like to thank you. Thank you uh, for investing part of your life with us. Sure do hope you're well and um, that your world is a good world right now. We'd also like to thank our friends at Malibu Milk, the world's first whole plant organic flax milk. Did you know that almond milk is about 98% water and that a glass of almond milk only contains about three or four almonds? Even worse, it takes 15 gallons of water to produce just 16 almonds. It's nuts. And uh, we have a water crisis on the planet and particularly here in California. Flax, on the other hand, is different. It's eco-friendly superfood. Malibu Milk is the first whole plant organic flax milk, and Malibu Milk is created by a mom, my friend Brittany. So give it a try right now. Check out Malibu Milk with a Y.com. That's Malibu Milk with a Y.com, and type in different 15 at checkout for your 15% discount. Malibu Milk, the small, tasty change that makes a big difference. All right, I need to remind you that this Oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and all rights do remain perturbed. Uh, if you like long-form, unfiltered, unfettered, unedited dialogue, don't forget, check out Follow Your Different and follow and or subscribe or whatever you're supposed to do today on your podcast player if you want more conversations like the one you just heard. We must warn you that this oddcast is created in a studio that does contain nuts, and the creators, producers, and editors of this oddcast were uh, more than likely consuming libations. Speaking of editors and producers, uh, we are produced by the greatest of all time. Yes, he is, Jason DeFilippo. And Jason has recently opened a new studio in Los Angeles for podcasting, for actors who want to do audition tapes, and, and all sorts of things. So check out jason.fyi if you want to do legendary oddcasting and other recorded studio things in the Los Angeles-based area. Uh, technical awesomeness and lockhead.com built by Jamie J and Sarah Knox. Show notes by GM Simon. Our web development is done by the Bobas Brothers, EX and RJ, and Cedric Biros does our graphic and web design. Our law firm is Weed and Jack, and our accountants are three balance sheets to the wind. We record these oddcasts on squadcast.fm. Don't forget to listen to Katie Lang teach kids to write um read category pirates check out category pirates on amazon.com the brand new uh, snow leopard how to become how legendary writers become a category of one check out snow leopard on amazon.com uh, remember to spread podcasts not viruses want to say a special thank you to our healthcare heroes thank you to hank handy dandy i love you mom and dad and the thought we'll leave you with today comes from eleanor roosevelt who said the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. <laughs>